Hello and welcome. This is Experts Explain, where a group of teachers representing different fields of study discuss and attempt to answer problems in academia. Hosted by me, Yasmin Bukhalkhan, and my co-host, Mohamed Abdelfattah Amru. Greetings to our dear teachers, Sir Al-Hashmi Sharrar from the Department of Biology, and Sir Saddam Hussein Habib from Mechanical Engineering Department. In today's episode, we'll be discussing difficulties faced by both teachers and students of the Algerian University while learning English. And to help us dive into the psychology of that, we are joined all the way from Bangalore, India by Ms. Samita. Ms. Samita is a PhD scholar in psychology at the School of Science, uh, Jane deemed to be university. Her thesis work broadly focuses on mind wandering and mindfulness. Her research interests include cognition, transpersonal psychology, consciousness studies, philosophy, quantum reality, pedagogy, and cognitive neuroscience. She is a psychologist, researcher, published poet, writer, and a French teacher. She is also the author of the nonfiction book entitled The Faces of Self, Introspective Insights. She has authored the short story The Russian Manuscript and the memoir The Return of the Russian Manuscript, available both on Amazon. In the year 2021, she was selected as a leader of tomorrow for the 15th St. Gallen Symposium in Switzerland, as her essay made it to the top 100 essays across the globe. So welcome, Ms. Samita, and we're glad that you joined us today. Thank you so much, Mohamed and Yasmin. It's yeah. a pleasure to be here. Yes, it's our pleasure. So now let's talk some facts. So the Algerian Ministry of Higher Education this year took an official step towards establishing English as the language of instruction at universities. Historically speaking, Boumedes Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers, founded in 1976 in partnership with 12 American universities, was the first higher education institution teaching in English. In 2021, the higher schools of mathematics and artificial intelligence were established and they emphasized English as a medium of instruction, EMI. In this regard, the ex-spokesperson of the United States Embassy in Algiers, Khaled Wolfsburgs, believed that this university could be a game changer for, for Algerian higher education. We could say that his prophecy came true. Two days ago, the ministry launched online plot platforms to train teachers in addition to the already initiated ESP that is taught at the level of English departments and the Center for Intensive Languages, teaching which is university affiliated. Despite this valuable step, we cannot ignore the fact that the reality sometimes does not correspond with the theory. There is a huge gap between the means and ends, between reality and expectations. So, in the hopes of bridging this gap, we thought that it would be beneficial to tackle some of the main difficulties that teachers may face in learning English, to facilitate their journey as much as possible. And what better way to do that than to ask teachers themselves for their opinion? We will first start with Mr. Hashmi. So, Mr. Hashmi, can you give us uh, your opinion about the topic? Hello, everyone. Okay, I will give here my opinion about uh, teaching and learning English in the university. So, uh, uh, as an Algerian university lecturer who is fluent in both Arabic and French languages, I found myself facing a great challenge, whether on the psychological or educational levels, to keep pace with the change taking place in the university system, especially with regard to the necessity of teaching English. Regarding learning English, although my level is not bad, it needs, it needs development. Lessons at this pace are not enough to reach the point of speaking without making mistakes. 
In my opinion, sessions should be intensified at least an hour a day for linguistic enrichment. On the other side, which is related to facing the students and speaking to them in English, there is another challenge. Will they accept it psychologically? Are they ready for the challenge to make an effort to receive in a language other than their mother tongue? I suppose it will be the same as when they receive lessons in French, although since they expect us to translate for them before receiving the information. And so we go back to square one. Uh, can we request Ms. Samhita to give us any her insight about this? So, um, I know this kind of situation personally because I have had uh, ancestors who started learning um, in their mother tongue and all of a sudden they had to shift from learning in uh, my mother tongue, Canada, to English. And I will be sharing some insights which could probably help you in this regard. First of all, English is not the only language in the world. Um, however, unfortunately, a lot of um, most countries, I think, teach in English and have made it a mandatory language and a medium of uh, instruction. But that does not mean that one's self-worth is actually linked to how good they are at English, whether it be as an English learner or as uh, someone who teaches in English medium. I do believe that it, it's a very, very big uh, jump to take um, from teaching or learning a particular uh, uh, set of subjects in uh, French and then moving to English all of a sudden. It is indeed a great leap. Uh, it comes with a lot of risks and challenges. But still, it can also be tackled effectively if you have the right support and the right hand-holding. And therefore, I do believe that transitioning from one language to another, although it might not be very easy, it need not be extremely difficult as well. It is definitely possible because as uh, the late psychologist Albert Bandura said, self-efficacy is more important. That is, if you believe in your own capability, there's higher chances of success and you will definitely perform better only because of that self-belief. This I say because right now in the world, after we spoke about the law of attraction and the secret and all such books and movies that came out, people initially thought, okay, it is the thinking process. It is one's thoughts that shape reality. But now, scientists like Dr. Joe Dispenza and Dr. Joe Vitale, they have been um, actually unearthing another truth that is even beneath thought, which is belief. And so if a person believes so firmly, research has found that it can even create changes in the body. It can even create physiological changes. Therefore, it is not really um, the action, but the action becomes stronger if you do believe in yourself. And in order to transition from uh, teaching or learning in one language to teaching and learning, or teaching, training English. Um, I would suggest that a multi-dimensional immersive process is very important. I would suggest also, do not just um, speak to the people that you already know. For example, your colleagues, your teachers, your parents, your family members, your spouse. 
I would suggest you explore certain platforms for language learners across the world so that you will be able to get in touch with the native speakers of English, which is the British. Or you can even make friends with Americans and people across the globe in order to get a taste of the different ways in which English language is used and different ways in which it is manifested in the world. I do understand because I have uh, done uh, C1 in French from the Alliance Française de Bangalore and I know both the sides of the coin in the sense I do know that it is difficult to transition from English to French and from French to English. Uh, for example, uh, so I here we ha have a lot of uh, Ivorians living in uh, Bangalore who are of course francophone. They tend to mispronounce certain common words uh, like uh, they say burger for burger or they would pronounce half a liter as alpha liter because of course H is silent. These are things that are very common and it's nothing to be afraid of because each language is different in its own way. Each language has its own idiosyncrasies. However, um, English and French are very, very similar in many ways. One has to just tread carefully and just be mindful and uh, kind of slow down the brain a little. This is one advice that was given by a senior professor who taught us French. And she said that you just have to be mindful uh, sit quiet for some time in a room and then the solution will arrive. If you keep trying hard uh, and if you work yourself up, the brain tends to not work. And uh, this is inherently one of the laws of the mind. Uh, the, the moment we try to think harder and harder and you know try to get the solution, the mind does not provide us with that solution. The solution comes when the person is actually taking rest. Um, we also say that creative ideas come when the person has gone for a walk, is taking a shower or is, has gone for a run or is simply sitting and meditating. So if you understand the fundamental nature of the mind, uh, then learning becomes much more easy and uh, smooth. So can we sum up this in three main points? That your attitude towards the task matters and that you must expand your horizon so you get different influence around the world. And the last point is to not stress your mind about the task itself. Uh, you have said that they need also to understand the function of the mind, right? Right. I would like to add something in this regard um, that is related to perfection. I mean, looking for uh, perfection. So we all know that there is something called the critical period around 12 years of age. Uh, after that, learning a language takes more areas of the brain. That's why we say first language acquisition, but second language learning. That is not to feel and move anymore, but totally the opposite. When someone is aware and normalizes what they think as deficiency, they will definitely embrace their mistakes and move forward. I think it is too much important to clear some misunderstanding concerning the concept of fluency. Is fluency to sound, to sound or even be like a native speaker or to convey coherent message in a particular language? Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, fluency in 
uh, in the sense of the technical meaning of the word, I will not get into that aspect. But uh, as you said, it is important for the teacher to convey the message in a coherent manner, in a logical manner, rather than you know uh, flaunting their English language skills. Uh, if the message is conveyed effectively, that is important for the students. And different creative teaching uh, methods and pedagogical practices can be adopted. I would always suggest that you know, um, for the student, each student is different. Each student's interests, motivations, and uh, uh, nitty gritties. There's different things that every person is drawn towards. And there, there are different ways. There are some tools online that you can use in order to figure out what kind of learner you are. So there is one uh, tool which you can look up. It's called the Learning Style Questionnaire, where you can um, figure out if you are more of a visual learner, an auditory learner, or a tactile or kinesthetic learner. There are certain people who might be fitting into more than one category. And there, there are others who will be multi-dimensional learners. So they would want to, for example, go to a laboratory, try something out with their own hands, as well as look at, let us say, a map uh, or some kind of chart or a, a bar diagram. And also may want to listen to something like uh, or watch a video. So which is video would be a combination of visual and auditory. Others may want to simply sit and read um, in a very quiet place, whereas there are other learners who want music in the background in order to concentrate. So again, this is what we call individual differences. And uh, definitely, each person can figure out what best suits them and then move forward. Yeah. Um, and I would like to say one thing. English is just another language and uh, one's mastery of English does not determine one's uh, self-image or self-worth. The trend in the world is such that in many places, even in my country, if someone does not speak fluent English, uh, a lot of people make fun of them, right? They do not realize that it is just another language, but it has become a global language um, since a lot of uh, important activities happen in the English language. However, it does not mean that uh, one's self-worth, self-image must depend on this language proficiency, right? And little ideas that a person gets, even though they are making mistakes while learning, when they get these little ideas, sometimes it can be ideas that provide solutions to their own problems. And for these kinds of ideas to emerge, there are many activities that are recommended by psychologists. Every day in the morning, it is important to have a morning routine. And before going to bed, it's also important to have a night routine. Why I say this is because the few hours in the morning actually decide how your entire day will turn out to be. Okay, and before going to bed, it is important to follow a healthy night routine 
and that is because this will facilitate better quality sleep and if you get good sleep chances are that you will also remember your dreams if you remember your dreams you might also get to a breakthrough because research has shown that there have been scientists and writers who have got these immensely insightful breakthroughs in their dreams right so a lot of cultures tend to ignore dreams they just tend to push it aside saying oh this doesn't really uh, matter it's not reality yes uh, so hashmi would wants to add something right yes uh, can i ask samhita for something yes sure yeah. uh, uh, for uh, the part of uh, teaching english uh, in uh, education assistant in india this is the first part uh, i mean the part the percentage in the education assistant in india right um so i'll tell you one interesting thing in india um as a phd scholar i am not allowed to use american english uh, spelling in my thesis so most universities in india actually follow british english which means to say that i am not allowed to spell color um as c o l o r but i have to use the extra letter which is c o l o u r so in india um in many places especially in the cities and in the metropolitan cities like bangalore pune mumbai delhi english uh, quality is really really good in fact uh, i do see the scene has changed a lot over the past few decades indians have picked up english and uh, they seem to be speaking and writing like a pro probably it's because literature also has been given a lot of importance and over the past many years we even have um, literary events and um, national literary fests happening where people of different states gather and uh, people of many many different states in india have started writing in english so i think that the trend is definitely positive here um it is extremely pathetic in certain uh, rural areas in india because uh, i have personally gone to villages and uh, done field work in villages and i have seen that uh, they have very very meager facilities and amenities okay so they do not know what is a library if you go to a university in bangalore or, or in delhi or in any other major city um the library will will definitely be huge um at least uh, a few thousands of books at the minimum but if you see in villages where english is taught they have a small rack a small table and maybe like two racks hardly 50 books in english not even 50 books and that is what they have for a library so it is really really um, disappointing that uh, rural areas have not progressed as much as urban areas have uh, in india but um, in many 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 cities english proficiency has definitely you know uh, increased in leaps and bounds um, and uh, 
before let's say like in the 1990s many schools did not encourage literature and languages rather the focus was mostly on mathematics and science however now with the um, emergence of international schools in bangalore and in many other places in india and also because of the fact that many universities were, were given uh, deemed status across the country um, foreign students have also been uh, enrolling in many of these colleges and universities and now it is more uh, um, accepted that a person is free to pursue what they want to because otherwise it was mostly like you either have to become a doctor or an engineer last option was a lawyer apart from these three professions in india no other profession was respected however thankfully now the trend is changing and uh, i do see that uh, certain professions in india tend to give a lot of importance to language learning and uh, english learning however uh, there are some scientific tutor uh, engineers who have completely ignored honing their skills in english because they do not uh, want to uh, converse in english so in that way we do have something like uh, cancel culture uh there are certain uh, groups that are formed in corporates uh, so the the ones that do not want to speak in english uh and they want to continue conversing in their mother tongue would form a particular group and you know not uh, converse much or mingle with the other people uh in a sense i think it works both ways there are certain groups that look down upon people who speak english and there are these groups who look down upon people who do not speak good english so i would say the picture is is quite varied here okay so i think one of the main points that i got from what you've said is that expanding the level of english for a more of a general effect would require some time it's not something that we would be able to achieve in a year or two exactly exactly um i think that uh, perhaps referring to one standard textbook or a standard set of textbooks for the entire country uh would probably kind of systematize the um, syllabus but still i would not say only stick to the syllabus because if you only stick to the syllabus uh great progress i don't think can be made at a fast pace uh yeah i think I would, a systematic yeah. syllabus would be more of a, at some point would become a limitation rather than a tool of expansion exactly exactly because uh there are certain people who say i have read everything that's in the syllabus and that's it i do not need to learn anything more i am just going out for a movie or i'm going to a party um this was the trend here in bangalore many years ago um so i also know people who have not read a single novel in their life not a single novel um and it's it's pretty sad because now a lot of people are switching to audio books not that it's a bad thing but people have stopped reading these uh, hard copies okay now they prefer soft copies they prefer 
to read on um, an e-reader or maybe just they're so um, not motivated that they just want to listen to the entire summary by just reading a Wikipedia article. That is also trending. Yeah. So I guess that all relates to the point that you shouldn't just limit yourself to one field or to one piece of study. The, exactly. the more the better, the, the more you acquire, the higher your level of English or language in yeah. general. Right, right, yeah, yeah. yeah thank for you. instance, yeah, for instance, I I used to send uh, voice messages and uh, I, I used to do video calls with my French native friends uh, who are living in France and they would correct my uh, mistakes and they would be very happy to do so. Um, so if you actually have the time and opportunity to even have some pen pals like online friends from um, let's say Great Britain or uh, the United States, then it would really, really help because you have someone in real time correcting you. And there's a lot of forums online where you can search uh, for friends. And uh, it's not like you have to reveal your identity, but it's only for language uh, learning purposes. Plus, if you watch movies made by the natives, that definitely is a plus. Okay, uh, someone actually had asked a question on pronunciation. So if you want to pronounce well, you have to watch how the natives pronounce certain words. Because, um, for example, an Indian may not pronounce a particular word as accurately as a British does. And therefore, it's important to engage in all the content created by the natives, right? Um, I think this leads to another point I have. The importance of pronunciation or the correct pronunciation. Right. Sometimes we fall in this hole that we are focusing more about what we, how we say the thing instead of focusing on the content. To mm -hmm. the point where your mistakes in pronunciations that you are aware of will end up uh, like disturbing your, th your thoughts and hindering what you're trying to say. So my point is, how important is the correct pronunciation, if there is such a thing to get? All right. So pronunciation is definitely important, but not the most important thing. Unless you uh, are in a particular situation which is really sensitive and, you know, uh, if you do not get one or two syllables correct, the word might mean something else. That, that is one kind of uh, situation you have to be very, very cautious about. Otherwise, I personally do not think that pronunciation is the most important thing. Eventually, the person will learn how to pronounce. Um, just by, you know, going to Google Translate or any other uh, platform like Reverso, you just uh, press the button and then you will hear the word uh, pronounced by a native, by a native speaker. And therefore, it's, it's, it will definitely eventually fall into place. I would okay. say that, you know, please practice pronunciation at home, practice pronunciation in your own personal space, because when you go and talk out there, you will not be um, bothered by that. When your pronunciation is all right, you can then focus solely on your content. 
All right. And if you have uh, fear of public speaking, which I think is a very, very important, uh, important aspect that uh, is faced by a lot of uh, professors and teachers, no matter how good they are initially uh, at the subject. Once uh, many years ago, uh, one uh, psychiatrist in India had said, it is okay to be scared. It is okay to be afraid. We are all people after all. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so when you want to talk in public, he said, think of an angry memory. Think of an angry memory that triggered you. Yeah. Use that anger as fuel for your talk. And that really, really works. Um, it has worked for a lot of people. And there are many um, anecdotes where people have said, yes, when they went with that zest, uh, thinking about something, and they used that anger to fuel their positivity and to perform well with enthusiasm, they did not feel nervous. That is one area where you know you can use a negative emotion for positive transformation. Mm, yeah. So it's like an aggressive confidence. <laughs> not exactly aggressive, but yes, yeah, it yeah, depends like... on the person. Yeah. 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 Yes, it ultimately depends on the way the person embodies it. Yeah. Right. You have mentioned the concept of mindfulness. I would like you to provide us with some tricks uh, to, uh, to apply this method while learning a language. Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. So my thesis work is actually on mindfulness and mind wandering. And uh, in order to give you a brief introduction, just imagine that mindfulness is uh, the North Pole and uh, mind wandering is the South Pole. Basically, it's like black and white. And in between, you have these gray areas. So no person can be completely mindful. You cannot be 100% mindful because you will not be able to function as a human being. Right? Um, mindfulness um, is now a buzzword. And there are tons of apps. There are tons of practices. So I will now tell you what you can do to... Uh, for to take mindfulness as a tool to help you. You can do journaling. We have something called mindful journaling. Every morning or whenever you have time, you go to a particular uh, place um, and uh, you, you set aside a particular time slot every day to journal your thoughts uh, mindfully. So you just basically make a note of whatever is going on in your mind that is uh, mindful journaling. We also have one more, which of course uh, uh, people familiar with literature would know, Virginia Woolf uh, and her stream of consciousness writing. Uh, in, in psychology and in mindfulness, we do have this stream of consciousness writing exercise. That is when you write down everything as it is without paying any attention to the spellings or to the punctuation marks. Uh, or to your handwriting. So you just write as it is, uncensored, without mincing words. So that is one more uh, pretty, pretty uh, powerful mindfulness exercise that is the stream of consciousness writing. Mm -hmm. Apart from that, we also have um, observing your own breath. Observing your own breath, which we call mindful breathing, uh, you can practice that for about 5 to 15 minutes every day and research 
shows that there will be changes in the brain that will help you reduce stress, anxiety, and also depression. Yes, very insightful. Uh, so uh, you have mentioned two methods. The first one, uh, to mindful journaling. Yes. Okay. And uh, uh, I mean three. And the second one, expressive writing. Is it something like expressive writing? Uh, I yeah, it is. It is definitely an expressive technique, uh, but it's a little more uh, specific than that. In the sense that the person, it just writes whatever comes to their mind without. Uh, giving any any regard to the spelling or pronunciation. Okay. Allow me please to ask my question, and which is related to my own experience. Mm-hmm. I find myself confronted with two issues. One, teachers who used to teach in French for years face major problems when it comes to their English pronunciation, which is pretty much the, the same thing that we were talking about. And this may cause feelings of discomfort and anxiety. Second, some teachers before English training try to write articles or conference papers in English. They somehow managed to translate them on their own, even if they were not proficient in English. When they started English training, they had then to confront with block knowledge gathered from different levels, other than accumulated knowledge from simple to more complex levels. So psychologically speaking, does this random prior knowledge hinder or foster their learning? That's a very important aspect of uh, switching from one language to another. Um, If you look at uh, some psychological literature on these topics, we, we find that sometimes the language that you previously learned interferes negatively with the language you are currently learning and vice versa. Um, But if the languages are very, very similar, let us say, for example, French and English, they have the same alphabet and they have a lot of similarities, then definitely there would be an interference. Uh, But if you are, uh, let us say, if if I have learned Spanish and I also want to start learning Russian simultaneously. Um, Then it would not affect me that much. And that's because Russian has a different alphabet, which is the Cyrillic alphabet. Um, So it it depends on the uh, characteristic features of the language itself. Mm -hmm. So I would say that uh, written English is very 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 different from uh, spoken english and this is this is the case in many other languages as well mm-hmm. sometimes i do think that when a person tries to translate from uh, one language to another uh, they might be pretty accurate in translating uh, because writing gives them that time to think the space to think and therefore they are able to make corrections to errors that they spot on their own um, and if they do have a working knowledge of English, it is probably not difficult for them to translate from uh, French to English. Uh, still, the same person might face problems while speaking all, or while um, integrating information. And for this, there's three things that I would like to point out. There are rather three terms. We have something called a conditioning in psychology. We also have deconditioning and reconditioning. So it is similar to um, learning, de-learning, and relearning. Or, you know, or learning, unlearning, 
and relearn yeah so basically a, right yeah so basically a person has to consciously make an effort okay here also you can use mindful uh, mindfulness as one of your uh, tools or uh, what you can do is you first become aware that uh, there is an interference in the knowledge acquired previously and then you will make sure that you do not um, hurry up when you are learning uh, another language you completely uh, compartmentalize in your mind mentally and you take the learning itself step by step slowly if possible do have a um, study group where you you can discuss with others uh, either virtually or uh, on site and then you realize that yes you have been conditioned because of another language because of the structure and rules of another language you have been conditioned to think the way you used to think because you were a, a user of that particular language for a majority of your life and definitely you cannot in one day or two days get rid of that conditioning and therefore what you can do is to take a break every 20 minutes to half an hour do something else do a do a completely different activity and get back to your learning we call this the pomodoro technique the pomodoro technique is is when um, when the pandemic happened people started um, having these virtual coffee chats and uh, coffee meetings where they would work together and after half an hour they would discuss what they did uh, take a break and then come back so taking breaks is very very important um, because the brain can also experience fatigue and uh, mental fatigue or intellectual fatigue can be as as bad as physical fatigue although it might seem different for the person you may not have like an actual body ache of lifting um tons of weight but you will feel tired you might even get a headache you might feel dizzy and this is because psychology affects the body psychology affects physiology that is another branch which is called uh, psychophysiology so once you are aware of these things and how the psyche functions then you can definitely make a uh, change so going from getting uh, awareness of your conditioning you have to space out take some time and unlearn all those things you realize it and then you're like consciously telling yourself okay now this is a completely new task let me approach it with a fresh mind afterwards you learn new strategies uh, you can also adopt new age um, state of the art tactics in order to move forward in your learning because what uh, cognitive instruments or mental models that you used to learn a language in the past may not be applicable to the language that you are currently learning right so if you can do that if you can use like um advanced technology as much as you can depending on resources and um, most importantly to have a peer group and a support group to keep you going and to motivate you in your uh, language learning process is very very essential Yes, sir. Hashmi wants to add something. Uh, are there any rules or differences regarding writing a scientific paper in an American, British, or Australian journal, for example? 
I mean, uh, exactly for each for each uh, journal to write in English in their uh, 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 proper uh, English. Okay. Uh, Yasmin, I have a minor point to add here. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, well, in our discipline in psychology, we in India we follow the APA format, which is the American Psychological Association format. Mm -hmm. uh, although we follow British spelling, we do not follow uh, British Psychological Society format. For some reason, the all the Indian uh, bodies uh, that uh, propagate and uh, uh, organize psychological events, they have actually made it a rule for us to follow the American Psychological Association format in the sense that is for the references and other things. However, we it also depends on the journal. For example, some journals specifically tell you to write all the citations in British uh, Psychological Society format. And uh, finally, I think it depends on the, on the journal that you are submitting to. Uh, however, I think that uh, the content or the scientific rigor is is important, and they would not really be looking at uh, whether it's coming from um, you know from someone who is with an American inclination or someone with a British inclination. Yeah, exactly. And uh, even uh, here in Algeria, for the scientific fields, they follow the APA style. And for the humanities, they follow the MLA style, especially literature. Right, right. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, here as well, here as well. Mm -hmm. Is it possible to use both dialects, American and English, at the same time? Basically, is to not focus your speaking on one dialect, but use it as it goes, whether it's British, American, or... That's a very interesting uh, question. Um, if you can, if you just want to... Um, play with the language um, as a learner, then then why not? Um, however, in a formal situation, I would suggest that uh, using that may not be taken uh, uh, very well. Uh, depends on the audience also, of course. But uh, I do know people who are very talented in uh, imitation and, uh, you know, observing other people's uh, tone and accent. And there are people who are very talented at imitating accents. Uh, if you are one of them, then definitely uh, give it a try. Um, it's definitely a creative exercise, I would say. For uh, it's very, it's a very good practice. Yeah, I think there it's more about when he speaks, his accent is not focused on one dialect. So mm -hmm. he goes from British to American to be, like a word-to-word -word, mm -hmm. uh, level. Sometimes, mm -hmm. it, so I think, on my opinion, that really does not do much of a bad effect as long as his words are understandable. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I would suggest in a formal setting, uh, do do try and use one of them. Mm -hmm. Only one of them. So now we will take another avenue of inquiry related to the psychology of classroom management, which requires often a two-way communication flow. So, Mr. Habib, if you'd like to give us your, what you think is the main question that should be asked in this regard. 
my my question question is uh, about uh, uh, there are some uh, teachers uh, face problems in classroom uh, management. Uh, now, uh, as you know, the that the language of instruction is going to be English. Would this affect their uh, motivation and the discipline? Well, um, may I ask you uh, one question? Um, okay. Would it? Uh, do you think it would affect uh, teachers? of a particular category or uh, do you mean like all teachers would be affected by this uh, it depends to to the the environment and the students like uh, the number of students uh, the resources the uh, the native language mm -hmm. okay so um even though it seems like a big leap, I think there are a few things that uh, teachers could follow to make this process easier. Uh, maybe I would suggest like having two teachers in the same room teaching the same subject. Uh, maybe the first half of the hour, one teacher teaches and the other teacher observes or uh, makes certain additions. And the next uh, part of the class would be taken over by the other teacher. Um, and the first teacher can then also make some uh, minor uh, additions to the lecture. That uh, I believe would be one of the ways in which um, you know um, you can handle it better because for model support you will always have a colleague with you in the room. Um, apart from that I also think that uh, arranging uh, public lectures, arranging workshops and um, seminars uh, by resource people from other countries or from other continents would definitely uh, enhance the process of teaching and learning. And uh, this would also give students a, an international exposure and uh, widen their uh, knowledge expansion as well. Apart from okay. that, I would Yes. Uh, uh, does this exist uh, in uh, reality to teachers in the same classroom? I didn't know that before. I see. Uh, okay. So basically the country I come from in India, uh, this practice is followed in uh, some very good institutions uh, and some in some private colleges and institutes as well. We have some collaborations and uh, we have people coming from different states to give lectures and uh, there are also people who give, who train people, hands-on training happens and uh, laboratory demonstrations happen for certain specific cases. Uh, there are people who uh, fly from other countries and come or now uh, of course with the um, advent of technology you can definitely have someone from another university uh, address uh, students uh, virtually or either on Skype or Zoom. Um, now, of course, the, the global, the world itself has become a global village because it, it's such a small world with uh, everything, uh, you know, being accessible uh, thanks to technology. Um, also, one interesting aspect to kind of um, 
engrave certain things in the memory of the learners and also of teachers is is to use this uh, virtual reality uh, recent studies have emerged so showing that uh, using this virtual reality even for uh, 15 minutes um, on a regular basis uh, boosts learning of the student and this is because it seems like almost like you are in the place although you're just wearing some technology and uh, watching a particular scene it seems so real that the learning is very 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 great okay thank you i think we should try this uh, with uh, our teacher right and uh, i think yasmin uh, we could actually talk about collaborations between india and algeria as well uh -huh, yeah regard. yeah Yes, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's really interesting. Thank you. So I think to sum it up, teachers should rely, rely on other teachers for support. So the idea of two teachers is one covers for the other, correcting their mistakes or taking the parts that they are struggling with. And also for classroom management, I think when they see two teachers in the classroom, they wouldn't, I mean, I mean in matters of discipline, they would more obey the law than only one teacher. So sometimes we need to define the problem from different perspectives. We know also that students at Algeri Algerian English department struggle to learn English. They may not have the same pressure that teachers do have, yet they are all goal-oriented, all strive to achieve English fluency. Moreover, as teachers, we must be aware of our students' needs. Mr. Mohammed, what do you think is the, the stumbling block to EFL learners' proficiency? Well, uh, through observing my classmates and other instances of people struggling with learning the language, it seems that they were often overtaken by feelings of frustration, that, which drove them away from actually working on improving themselves. These people often fall into one of two, cat uh, one of two categories or groups. The first one, those whose negative emotions are directed toward themselves, frustrated at their own inadequacy and inability to overcome this obstacle. Uh, which, which seems like an issue of self-esteem where they equate the mistakes to their own ability but in a very negative way where they degrade, degrade themselves from this is difficult, I cannot solve it yet to thinking that I am not good enough to do this and I'll never solve it. The second group or the other side of the spectrum are those that uh, with what I consider an inflated ego to them, the frustration is never toward their own limited ability, but rather towards the task itself. They seem unable to overcome it, so, it's, so the reason for that is because the issue is unsolvable, or it's just not worth their time. They take it as far as to criticize the teacher's methods or decisions, and sometimes, which sometimes perhaps is the only them that they find inadequate. So the common thing between these two groups is that they both seem to just not try. They just avoid doing the work, both avoiding failure, one for the reason that it just affirms their intrusive thoughts, and the other because they do not want to damage the image of perfection by failing at a relatively simple task. So my question would be, uh, what would you recommend as a good course of actions to solve or work around these underlying issues and perhaps create a space for uh, further mm -hmm. improvement? Mm -hmm. Right. So uh, you spoke about the fact that uh, people 
tend to have negative emotions directed at themselves, right? So, yeah. um, as I said earlier, um, you know, human beings are emotional beings and transformation happens not primarily by working on, on one's thinking or on one's uh, cognition, but transformation, real transformation actually lies in emotion. Um, when a person is emotionally sufficient, when a person knows how to manage their emotions well, the rest of the areas of life also fall into place. And this is not just a mere uh, bunch of words, but it's actually what is right now very much needed in the world. Because apart from intelligence quotient, which is IQ, there's something that is more and more important in the past few decades, which is the emotional intelligence quotient. And if a person has a very high emotional intelligence quotient, but does still doesn't have that much of IQ, he or she is more likely to succeed in life, studies have shown, than the person with the high IQ. Because uh, we end up dealing with situations, we end up dealing with people, we end up dealing with complex uh, social and psychological situations. And if the person is able to manage themselves well, then they show up better in the world. And, you know, this brings us to one concept I recently came across. Uh, and you also mentioned space, right? So there is a microcosmos, there is a mesocosmos, and then there is macrocosmos. Let me explain what these three things refer to. Microcosmos is the relationship you have with yourself, right? Mesocosmos is basically the space between you and the world, you and the larger world. Macrocosmos is the uh, world in, in general. So when a person heals, when a person learns to deal with themselves properly, we call that intrapersonal intelligence. When one has this intrapersonal intelligence, and then when one shows up in society, then the person has at the micro level grown and therefore chances are higher that if everyone grows in this particular way, focusing on themselves, then when they are in a group, the group cohesion is, is present and the group conflicts also reduce. Plus negative uh, emotions have the ability to uh, over a long period of time destroy the person. When I say destroy the person, I do not mean um, any kind of disease or uh, disorder as such necessarily, but negative emotions over time actually have, uh, you know, reduced immunity in people and have also reduced motivation. Um, and if these emotions are not addressed, they can come back in uglier ways according to the father of psychology. Uh, Sigmund Freud was considered the father of psychology. And he said, what you suppress emerges in uglier ways than you imagine. And this is definitely one of the uh, fundamental rules in uh, psychology and in the study of the mind. And this rule has not changed. This law has not changed at all. It's just like the, you know, Newton's gravity, Newton's laws. This, this too has, has remained um, since uh, Sigmund Freud actually came up with this law or even before that. All right. So what the second part of your question was that some uh, there are people with inflated egos as you said and they end up uh, you know not completing the task or avoiding the task altogether 
Yes. Again, I will I will quote Sigmund Freud because it was Sigmund Freud and his daughter Anna Freud who listed out very very important um, you know processes which they called ego defense mechanisms. What has happened in the world is um, we may not realize it. Uh, maybe lay people will say that we do not know why this person is behaving this way, but they're doing this and they label them. They, they say that this person is being really bizarre. This person is being weird. They're behaving in strange ways. What is wrong with them? But what actually is happening is the, probably a lot of these people are using ego defense mechanisms. So if they cannot accept something in themselves, they will say that the world is like that. Um, and that is one ego defense mechanism which is called projection. Ego defense mechanism is a natural way of coping for the person because they are not able to deal with thoughts that are anxiety producing. And when they do not deal with these thoughts, somehow they have to manage and therefore the ego emerges. Now taking this as a starting point, there is another uh, state that can be acquired by anyone. There's a book called uh, Flow by Mihaly. Uh, he is one of the very, very pr prominent uh, figures in the study of the flow state. Basically, this flow state is when the ego dissolution happens. So when a person is in a state of flow, uh, let's say like a creative artist or a writer or anyone, a teacher, a learner, when the person gets into this particular zone or this state of flow, uh, they actually have been able to increase performance, increase productivity and attain optimal levels of performance. During this state of flow, um, a lot of positive changes happen for the person and in the brain of the person such that they become better and better. And you can also actually induce this flow state by doing a particular activity in a particular way. You can definitely read up uh, later after the, after the session. Uh, this is very uh, useful also and it is part of the mindful mo mindfulness movement across the globe. And more and more people are also um, becoming aware and cognizant of these things uh, that are very, very uh, scientifically valid and uh, reliable. So once, once a person learns to deal with the underlying issues, then the majority of the problem is solved. And then, you know, the blockages are removed. And finally, the person's learning also becomes easier. I myself use, I myself follow one uh, French, um, French teacher called Johan. And uh, he has this podcast and uh, um, YouTube channel, the Francais Authentique. And he, he says that uh, finally it's uh, the blockages do not exist as things. They, they're actually mental blocks. So once you learn to deal with them, then you can become more flexible in your thinking. And when you extend your thinking, you have that cognitive flexibility. Then you can also, uh, you know, become more strong. You can all you also become more resilient as you as you learn, and you can take on greater and more complex tasks in your academic life. Okay, so I guess one point that you recommend is to to introspect, is to actually find out what the real problem is. 
Hmm. So to not just say it's an issue with the language, this or the specific language, but rather find the underlying issues which tend to be emotional or like a cognitive mm -hmm. issue rather than the Exactly. Right. Uh, I would like uh, to add, uh, we as teachers, what is your duty to deal with students who are using themselves? Like tricks to, uh, to help them to be self-aware? Hmm. Uh, I would uh, actually speak personally to the student after class, sit with them, uh, maybe have a cup of coffee with them and or take them for a small walk in the campus and ask them what exactly is bothering them and if that is addressed and if they feel safe you know um, mm -hmm. confiding in you uh, if you clearly acknowledge their problem it is it is very empowering for them so acknowledging the problem becoming aware of it and making them aware of it is actually the starting point for uh, change uh, so I uh, I want to uh, to put uh, add uh, the issues uh, for teaching English in Algeria because no. I discussed uh, the subject or the topic of teaching in English with some teachers and found them not all convincing. I think this is an aspect of the obstacles to the success of the process. I I see. What do you do? What do you want? What do you think mm -hmm. about this? Yes, I think his point falls into the the one that we already discussed about the attitude towards the language itself. Because a lot of teachers seem to share this idea that uh, teaching in English is not that important or it's not an actual thing, that it's just a phase that will go away. So what do you think is the effect of this attitude towards it? He's saying that I some so, teachers... Yeah. Yeah, he's saying that some teachers do not want to teach in English. They don't want this transformation from French teaching to English teaching. So is that going to be a, a problem? I think it is a problem. Uh, it is definitely yeah, why is yeah. Why is that uh, they do not want to switch from uh, French to English? What is the major uh, reason? I think they don't want to be I pushed out of their safe zones. Yes, it comes from the, there is a, like, what they project is that the English is going to be just a phase, that uh, the whole system is not going to change, like, uh, from French mm -hmm. to English. But the underlying issue, I believe, as well, is that they are more comfortable with French. They mm -hmm. spent years teaching in French, so this change mm -hmm. seems a little frightening to them, I guess. And they are too lazy to, to learn a new language at a certain age. Yeah. I had actually written one uh, keyword which is the comfort zone and there we come now. So in recent years a lot of writers have also been uh, writing about this thing called the comfort zone. So every day you can actually take tiny steps to move out of your comfort zone. Let me give you an example, um, an anecdotal example. There is uh, one person I know and she wanted to go to the same coffee shop every day. Although there were many options, she did not want to go anywhere else. She wanted to order the same cup of coffee, sit in the same place, at the same table, and, you know, those kinds of things. So she never wanted to move out of that comfort zone. The solution to get out of the comfort zone is you have to take tiny steps every day. 
you cannot take a big step because um, it will be too much for you to take. Uh, so little by little, one definitely makes uh, progress uh, by coming out of the comfort zone. So for language enthusiasts, how do you come out of this comfort zone? It is taking that leap of faith, uh, talking or sending a voice message to someone in uh, Britain, in British English. Okay, and then getting feedback from them. Or for academic progress, let us say one of the teachers attends a conference and presents in English and does not have any um, negative beliefs about themselves or about their performance. And I do think that all these um, inadequacies and feelings we have is actually too much within us because when a person performs in a conference or in some other event, they are more likely to be appreciated for what they have done. And it is the person themselves that uh, criticizes their own self. And this kind of uh, self-criticism is really not essential because every person is talented in one way or another. It's only that you need that little push every day to expand your zone, expand that comfort zone because a lot of growth happens when you go beyond the comfort zone. And it's almost like a spiritual metamorphosis, I would say. Uh, somehow uh, magical things happen, they say, when you step out of your comfort zone, when you take some calculated risks, but not tremendous leaps, calculated, cautious, responsible risks, so that you can definitely uh, go higher in the ladder of uh, language mastery and proficiency. Yeah, so uh, I think they need also to be aware that they need to take small uh, steps so that they are not going to be overwhelmed by the big step they think they should do to acquire or to learn a language. Yes, yes. Also, one more important tip is please keep a bilingual dictionary by your side, always. Mm, yeah. No, I think this speaks to the underlying issue of uh, their comfort zone, struggling to move out of it. As well as the main issue that they present, that uh, English is only a phase, that it's not something actually permanent. I think that learning the new language would do no harm, even if it's something that's not permanent. It's additional information, it's a, an addition to their own knowledge, so why would they go against it? That's the main issue. They have no reason to go against it. Yeah, I think that uh, there are many hidden latent benefits of learning English. Uh, one may not realize it now at the earlier stages of uh, learning. However, if you um, if you become proficient in English, the world has a lot of opportunities for you. Um, yes. Lucrative opportunities and also yeah. opportunities for um, for progress and for promotions and and all of yeah. that. even so, as uh, even if it does not become a tool of instruction, it still becomes a tool of uh, acquiring further knowledge. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, uh, do you have any final word uh, to add, uh, Ms. Sanhita? Um, yes. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's more on a, a personal note. I have mm -hmm. studied in an English medium school, college, university, institute. Um, Yet, when I heard the French language for the first time, I decided that French 
is more appealing to my heart than english is and therefore even now i consider myself indian by birth but french by heart ultimately it's the individual's uh, choice and what actually drives the in soul of the individual <laughs> yeah it's a romantic language as a speaker of both the languages i think you could give us your opinion of the benefits of having both of them Like yeah. So, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, so I think bilingualism itself is a very very um interesting aspect because knowing two languages can definitely slow down aging and uh, it can prevent disease and uh, you know it can improve your cognitive functions. Uh so coming to French and English. Yes. learning to play with both these languages and uh, being able to explore uh, literature written by both british american and french writers i think has given me so much knowledge and uh, it has given me certain states of consciousness which i otherwise wouldn't have gotten and i have made friends from across the globe because of the fact that i learned french and uh, it has given me a lot of happiness that's great Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Learning new languages expands consciousness. Absolutely. Mhm. Mm um okay, so uh, unfortunately we are going to end this uh, episode. I would like to thank each and every contributor for enriching today's topic. My heartfelt appreciation to Ms. Samhita for her response and dedication. I would like also to thank the team of teachers who are present with us today. Finally, special gratitudes go, go to my um, co-host Mohammed for his assistance and proficiency. Thank you. And I would like to thank all present as well. Thank you for this opportunity and thank you for gracing us with your opinions and your time and to hopefully to further uh, improvements on this. Thank you. Thank you for precious time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for Thank you all. Thank you so much Yasmin. Thank you so much Mohammad. Thank you to all the teachers present in the discussion. You are most welcome. Thank you.